facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a barn burner of a show for you today. It is June 1st. It's the Feast of St. Justin Martyr. If you want to call in right now, 888-914-9149 is the number to call for The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. You can also email the show. It's always great to get your emails, your questions, your comments. I got a great email question based off of yesterday's show. Time permitting, I'll share that. But if not, we'll get to it as soon as possible. But the address, once again, is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter, too. Grab onto my handle, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E, and the show account is at Kale Clark Show. Yeah, let's talk about St. Justin Martyr. And I, I love his feast day for, for many reasons. Uh, obviously, he was one of the first apologists of the faith, and he wasn't saying, I'm sorry for being a Catholic. That means, of course, explaining and defending the faith. And of course, his feast day is also my birthday. Yep, today's my birthday. And some of you know that. Some of you guys have been reaching out to, to wish me uh, well and tell me that you're praying for me. And I, I appreciate that. Hey, all right. Thank you, Jim. Jim uh, on the piano there. Tickling the ivories. I love it. I love it. And Jim was asking me what my favorite kind of birthday cake is. I would go with, I would go with the chocolate with vanilla gritty icing. I love that kind of gritty icing that you get at cake shops and stuff. I, I don't know how you make that, but it's phenomenal. I might, I might, might, might just have some cake later on. But I, hey, do I deserve it? I don't know, but I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to do it. Should I do it? Probably not. Probably not. But I have been actually trying to trying to work out a little bit. Um, sidebar, total sidebar. Got a new dog. The dog loves to run, so I've been starting to try to get in shape. I'm going to be playing, starting my basketball league up again soon, my 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 beer league. And speaking of that, I I, I actually had to look this up because, well, let, let me let me share. That. I'll save that for later. I'll save this for later. So once again, that number to call is triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. But I want to talk about today's saint, uh, who's th- this is really who the day is all about. This is Saint Justin Martyr. And we can learn so much from him, one of the first guys to really systematically explain and defend the faith. And, and anybody who shares their faith is an apologist, whether, whether you like it or not. This is part of our task. We always have to play that role. We have to put on our apologist hat uh, when we're talking about the faith, very often with skeptical friends and neighbors. And how exactly do we do that? Well, St. Justin Martyr gives us a really good roadmap for how to share our faith with people who might not, who we might not actually have a lot in common with. He, he really has a lot of great insight. And by the way, you can read about how St. Justin Martyr became a believer in Jesus Christ in one of his fa- most famous works. He really wrote three big works of apologetics. One of them is called The Dialogue with Trypho. And that's kind of in written format. It's kind of a back and forth. And Trypho was, was a Jewish person. And he's trying to convince Trypho that Jesus is the Messiah. And in chapter 7 and chapter 8 of his dialogue with Trypho, he talks about his conversion. And Justin Martyr was a philosopher. He was all into all the latest and greatest the, uh, philosophical ideas of the time. And he was walking along the beach. And he met this mysterious old man on the beach who turned out to be a Christian and he said he found from this guy the true philosophy that Jesus Christ is 
And his teaching is really the true philosophy. And that, it was just an amazing story. So you can, you can read about that. And he also wrote uh, what was called his first apology and his second apology. These are his three chief works. And the first apology is probably something that you know well. And we've talked about this in the past. He really spells out, by the way, the Mass. He, he's writing to the Roman Emperor, and he's trying to explain, hey, you, you don't need to cast a... You don't need to raise an eyebrow at these Catholics. You don't need to to look at them with suspicion or in any kind of uh, way that might think that they are some sort of a threat to you. They want to be good citizens. They want to, of course, be citizens of the kingdom of heaven first, but also good citizens of Rome. And, and they will follow the law as long as it don't doesn't conflict with the law of God. But there are all these wild rumors about the church, of course, in the early centuries, rumors that the early believers were cannibals because the pagans would just hear that, hey, they, they met in these secret places and they had this secret meal, which was, of course, the Eucharist. You couldn't get into, it's not like today where you just wander into a Catholic Mass. You couldn't participate in the Eucharist unless you were initiated, unless you were baptized. You've been a catechumen, you've been baptized at the Easter Vigil, and then shh, the Eucharistic tables open to you. But the pagans just heard rumors about what was going on in there in these gatherings, in these underground gatherings, as it were. All they heard was, hey, they're, they're, they're gathering together to eat the flesh and drink the blood of this dude. And wild rumors would spread that they were cannibals, even eating babies. That's not what happened, obviously. But he explains it to, to the Roman emperor. He lays out the mass. And this is incredible. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it quotes St. Justin Martyr extensively when he talks about the mass. And what's great about that is as you read it, you can see that the mass is essentially the same as it is today. The same structure, which is, of course, handed down straight from Jesus. Well, let me just give you a couple quotes from St. Justin Martyr to whet your appetite and, and give us some insight about what we can do today, because he's just as relevant in 2022 as he was in century number two, because he died in the second century. He was, of course, martyred, as his name would indicate. And in his first apology, he, he basically sets a, a tone here when he says, quote, Reason dictates that those who are truly pious and truly philosophical should honor and love only the truth, declining to follow opinions of the ancients if they are worthless. Wow, he said that in chapter 2 of his first apology. So he looked at it kind of like I look at you know, last night's pizza in the fridge. You know, I, don't, I don't know if this is still good. When in doubt, throw it out. <laughs> That comes to most of my culinary experiences. I'll save the leftovers, but you know, after three or four days, they're no good anymore. And just because something's old, just because an idea is old, doesn't mean that it, it's still something you should chew on, essentially. He says, hey, don't follow the opinion of the ancients if they're worthless. In other words, you got to check out. You've got to look at every idea that's out there and don't just blindly um, swallow everything the culture is giving you. You've got to actually look at it. You've got to dissect it. And, and, and don't be passive. You've got to have some critical thinking skills here. And, and I, I really love that about St. Justin Martyr, that even when it came to the Catholic faith, he would say, you've got to consider this. You've got to check it out on its merits and weigh the evidence, look at it. And this, this is not something that you just have to. Faith does not mean a blind leap into the dark. It doesn't mean putting your brain on the shelf. You've got to think. You've got to think here. Let my people think as it were. 
And then he had this, oh, this is, this is really good, folks. You're going to love this. This is one of the most wild arguments I've ever heard. This is wildly good. It's an incredible argument for the resurrection. Well, uh, Doug Guyvett wrote an article about from Biola University about St. Justin Martyr, and he said that when he was a young man, of course, he was into philosophy. He would he would follow the school of Plato. And he said, Plato used to say that if souls tried hard enough, they could remember their pure life before birth. Interesting. Hey, if you if you really you know strain hard enough, you might be able to remember what it was like in the womb. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but this is this is incredible. Justin kind of used this to promote belief in the resurrection. So he, here's what he says. And obviously, just like today, just as in Justin's day in, in the 21st century. Same as in the second century, some people actually scoff at the idea that a body that's been dead, buried, decomposed can, can actually rise from the dead again, you know, unless you're into The Walking Dead or something like that. You know, my wife watches that show all the time. Of course, she would buy that. Just, yeah, of course, the dead could come back, of course. But a lot of people will just scoff at that. And St. Paul dealt with that, too. When he went to Athens, which was really the center of philosophy in the ancient world, in Acts chapter 17 in your New Testament, he goes to Athens and he preaches about the resurrection. People, And there's really three different reactions to Paul. And they're the same reactions that people have today. A lot of people just laughed at him. They said, this guy's nuts. He seems smart. Why is he talking about this? So some people laughed. Some people said, hmm, Oh, we'll we'll hear you on this matter later. In other words, we'll, we'll put this on the shelf. We'll, we'll kind of we'll, we'll kind of bide our time, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. They wanted to hear more later. <laughs> Let, let's keep the conversation going. And then other people actually believed, and one of them was this woman named Damaris and some of her companions, and they they became followers of of Jesus through Paul. And so, in the same way, Saint Justin Martyr was dealing with th- these philosophers who were into Plato. And here's how he argued about the resurrection. This, this is incredible. He said that, hey, if anybody thinks it's a laughable idea, that's just unbelievable that a dead body that's decomposed, it's dissolved, it's diffused into the earth. If you think it's impossible that that body could be raised physically from the dead on the last day, say Justin Martyr said, hey, think about, think about where babies come from. Now, they didn't know as much about uh, procreation and fertilization and all the advances that modern science has, has helped us to understand about the beginnings of human life. But nonetheless, people did know something about the birds and the bees back then. And St. Justin says, imagine if you, if you didn't know how human procreation worked, if someone showed you a, a, a picture of a human seed. So it'd be like today showing somebody a, a, an image of a fertilized embryo. Okay, and it's very early stage of, of existence. If someone showed you a picture of an embryo and then showed you late, you know, uh, the pic, a picture of a mature man or woman, maybe somebody in their mid twenties or physically mature, whatever, and say, "Hey, by the way, that that is exactly where that that mature person comes from. He he once looked like this, or she once looked like this." If you showed an ancient person these two images, they they would say, no way, no way. I don't believe that. There's no way that this mature person came from that. But yet, it seems impossible, but it's true. 
And so St. Justin Martyr said, hey, if, if God can do that, if, if that's how a human person grows and matures and, and comes to be, then why do you think it's impossible that God could clothe the soul again in the future with the same body of the person who has died? And then he cites uh, Matthew's gospel where Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. With human beings, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So that's a great analogy. If you show somebody a fertilized embryo, a fertilized egg, and say that becomes this, you know, eventually 75-year-old man or 90-year-old woman, say, no way, but it's it's the same person. Yes way. It's like Wayne's world. So I, I just love that argument by uh, St. Justin Martyr. And then, and then here's where the, kind of the rubber meets the road for us. How do we find common ground with people that don't believe what we believe about the faith. This is really, really important. So obviously, Justin, being from, from the philosophical school of Plato, he would use philosophy, Socrates, Plato, to point out the truths of Jesus, that Jesus has the true philosophy. In fact, he, he builds on what these guys thought about. And some of the stuff that's in Jesus' teaching, you can see seeds of it in Plato, in Socrates. But Jesus, of course, brings brings it to full flowering. It's a little bit like uh, St. John Paul II in, in, in Fides et Ratio, his great encyclical on faith and reason. You know, maybe we should call this show Fides et Radio. <laughs> uh, I don't know. That could be our new tagline. We'll have to copyright that one. But anyways, one of the things that, that JP2 said is that you need both to fly. You need faith and reason, like two wings. You need them both to fly. But here's the deal. Faith obviously takes us beyond reason. It doesn't go against reason. It's not against or anti-reason, but it goes beyond it. Our faith goes beyond it. You have to, faith must go beyond reason, but it never contradicts it. It never contradicts it. And and he would use arguments that were very much similar to uh, what the church would do later in, in the medieval times. And, and people think of medieval times and I know Medieval Times is also a restaurant. I've never been there, but it sounds like fun playing dress up and, you know, jousting and all that stuff and having a feast. But maybe I'll have one later for my birthday. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know what's going to happen after the show. Maybe my wife will surprise me and take me to Medieval Times. But having said that, the Medieval Times get a bad rap. I don't know. People talk about going medieval on you, but that's not always a bad thing, especially when it comes to the teaching of the church, because... Uh, Peter Kreeft, a friend of the program, he's been on before. He talks in one of his books about how in the medieval times, the church synthesized. We love 80s music with synthesizers. Well, we want to synthesize faith and reason. Here's how they did it. They kind of took faith, if you will, from, from Israelite theology, from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament, and they mixed it up. They remixed it <laughs> with reason that came from Greek philosophy. And what do you get when you blend it together? It's a little bit like Reese's peanut butter cups, right? Hey, you got your chocolate into my peanut butter. Hey, you got your peanut butter into my chocolate, but it makes a delicious combination, doesn't it? And this is the medieval synthesis that the church brought together. Faith from Israel, reason from the from the philosophers, and shh, brought it together, remixed it to bring about Catholic truth. And it's delicious and it's spiritually very satisfying. And St. Justin used to talk about stuff like that. I absolutely love it. And so here's what, here's what I would say about this. This is where, when it comes to talking to other people uh, about um, 
about your faith. Je- Justin can really point out some great stuff on this too. And, and I found this other article. This is interesting. This is from uh, an organization called Orthodox Christian Fellowship because the Orthodox believers, the Orthodox churches of the East, they also, of course, are very fond of St. Justin Martyr. They, they also claim him as their own. And this is kind of like a university group, a little bit like you might have heard of Focus, uh, which is a Catholic group that ministers to university students on campuses all across America. I guess this is kind of the orthodox version of this. There's some orthodox listeners to the show. They might have heard about this. But anyways, um, there's an article on their website about how to use St. Justin to bring the faith to your friends. And so one of the things that Justin said in his first apology was he said, look, there are seeds of truth among all people. There are seeds of truth among all men. So everybody knows some truth. There isn't anybody in the world that doesn't know something that's true, either through their conscience or through creation or through the world around us. And so we got to build on that. We've got to build on that. Now, people that we go to school with and and, uh, maybe the person in the next cubicle, the person in the house down the street, the guy in our local beer league softball team. He may not be an express Catholic, but he does have some seeds of truth in his life. So St. Justin had had a couple of takeaways for, for the, how to deal with people like this. Number one, we've got to be educated. We've got to be a little bit, we've got to know something about our faith. And we also have to know something about the other person and what they know. And this is really important. We've got to know the scriptures as Catholics. We've got to know the teaching of the church. We've got to know the catechism, at least in a rudimentary fashion. And you got to know something about your friend, what they believe. Well, how do you find out? Well, you ask them on a novel concept. Hey, so tell me about your religious background or what's, tell me about your spiritual journey. People love to answer that question. It's a great way to get people talking. You ask them what they believe. They're more than happy to tell you most of the time. More than happy to tell you. And and if you're lucky, because most people are polite, they will turn it around and say, well, what about you? What do you, what do you think? Unless they're, I mean, we all know people are totally self-absorbed. They only want to talk about themselves. But but most people will say, well, how about you? And then they're asking you. You're not shoving it down their throat. You're not um, uninvited, knocking on their door. They're actually asking you, please tell me what you think, what you believe, what your life has been like. So again, to bring up Peter Craft, he said, Peter Craft used to say, and he was, he's a teacher. He taught at Boston College for many, many years. And he said, the secret of being a great teacher is two things. Love of subject. Okay, you got to love what you're teaching, right? To be effective at teaching it. Because that joy and that, that excitement comes across. Love of subject and then love of student. You got to love the student. You got to love what you're teaching. And that's what we have to do too. Say Justin Martyr was a teacher. He had this school of philosophy. He, he taught people the philosophy of Jesus. And many of his students were also martyred and and gave their life for the faith along with him. But he was a teacher. He was a teacher. He And he knew what people thought. He knew what people believed in the culture around him. And he also knew the faith really well. And so you say, well, I, I'm not a professional theologian. doesn't matter. You can know something about it. You can certainly tell your, your testimony how God's working in your life. Nobody can argue with that. Nobody can argue with a personal testimony. Oh, that didn't happen. God didn't really give you peace. And they're not going to say that. So, but they're often listening. Oh, that's, that's intriguing. I'm looking for peace. I'm, I'm not happy right now, despite my material possessions or whatever the case may be. So just, just a couple quick things here and then we'll, we'll, we'll move along. But the other thing that St. Justin knew was that every single person has been made in the image and likeness of God, whether they know that or not, including 
their reasoning because God has endowed us all with reason, right? And so we, we, we can never coerce faith in people. We have to respect their intellect and we, we can never kind of coerce people or, or, or fudge the process or manipulate people. We have to simply lay it out there. And, and some people, because their intellects are, are darkened, maybe because of sin or maybe the bad formation, they're not going to be thinking straight about this stuff. Or they're influenced by the media. Oh, Catholics are evil. The church is responsible for all kinds of terrible things in human history. But you can't coerce faith, okay? We have to respect people's choices, even if they say no. God respects our freedom, too. That's the whole deal with sin. He, he, he lays freedom out there, even though he knows that it might turn out badly. In fact, it's, it's a little bit like God said, it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Because without freedom, there can't be love. There can't be a choice to do the good. So we have to start with where people are at. We have to look for those seeds of truth that St. Justin said are in everybody. Teach calculus before you teach trigonometry, right? Um, you you got to start with the basics, build on common ground. I think that's really, really important. And then the last thing is, and St. Justin knew this, that love is the water that you need to water the seed of the word. So everybody's got the seed of the word somewhere inside of themselves. And we need to, to not just give people facts, but give people love. And that, that is what's ultimately going to catch them, I think. Got to catch them by the head. Got to catch them by the heart as well. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 is the number to call. If you want to react to that, give me a, give me a shout. Give me a call. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. I'm going to go to the phones right now. Actually, Lord is calling from Miami. How are things down in beautiful Miami? Hi, Kale. It's actually pretty hot and a little bit yeah. rainy over here. Okay, okay. Well, I'm glad uh, you brought the sunshine into the show by calling in. And, and <laughs> what's uh, What's on your mind today? Well, I was listening to your show, and I, I always find it fascinating because I've always, I think I've always believed in Jesus. I was raised in the Catholic faith, but I fell away from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really lost my faith in Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. I consider him my Lord and Savior, but I have such difficulty mm-hmm. conveying that information or what I believe to other people because I just don't ever feel like I have strong enough faith. Yeah, what, why do you why do you why do you think you feel that way? What 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 makes you say, "Oh, my faith is 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 small or, or weak"? What do you? I think it's a combination of almost like uh, I feel like uh, this. My democratic nature just doesn't want me to have my other friends who m- might be of other faith feel like mm. I'm imposing my beliefs or that mm. I'm diminishing their belief. Mm, interesting, interesting. Well, I, I always say this: we we are always super excited to recommend our favorite new movie, maybe Top Gun Maverick. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to, trust me. Um, or, or our favorite new restaurant, or hey, you know, check out Miami Beach. It's lovely. Um, a little hot right now, but 
and so we're really excited to recommend things that we like or things that we have benefited from. And sometimes we're really shy about about sharing really the greatest gift that we have, which is our faith. And so, and ultimately every every single person in the world was created to know the truth, created to know Christ. And they're, they're not going to kind of be complete without that. And so, and I understand, I, I completely understand that the... The desire not to want to impose, and we, and we shouldn't we shouldn't do that. And Pope Benedict talked about that too. He said that we can never impose the faith on anybody, but we can and we should propose the faith. Hey, have you ever thought about this? Or, and so I think I think um, that prayer of that that father in the gospel, you know, Jesus and his uh, Peter, James, and John, they come down from the mountain of transfiguration in the gospel, and they've just had literally the mountaintop experience. And then they come down into the valley, and there's a boy who's possessed by a demon, and his dad is there, and he is just at his wit's end. And he says to Jesus, I be- Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. So he was a guy who had that, that seed of faith, but like, help me water this thing. You know, help this seed to grow and so you've got that, and I, I would just say you can pray that prayer. You can pray that prayer, Lord. I believe. You know, help my unbelief. Help me to be so convicted of this truth that, and the people need to know it. That you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, again, shove it down people's throats or anything. But if the opportunity arises, I'm gonna try to to tell them about Jesus. So, and, and I think one of the most effective ways you can do that, Lord, is is simply by what I alluded to earlier, which is just the sharing your story approach. It's kind of like having an elevator pitch. Um, and you can, you know, kind of think about what different ways to do this. And sometimes you can expand this if you have more time with someone, or you can literally, if you're in an elevator, you can make the elevator pitch. And it's it's just a simple way to do it. And it's called the sharing your story approach. And, and here's just a, a visual for you. You can think about this. Uh, BC plus AD. Okay, think about that. BC plus A.D. What does that mean? B.C. means before Christ. And then the plus is really the cross. It's the plus sign, but it's really a cross. B.C., before Christ. And then there's this moment of the cross. And then A.D. is, you know, afterwards, right? Anno Domini in the the year of our Lord, in the time of our Lord. So what was my life like before, you know, Jesus either helped me through something or I became Catholic or whatever the case may be, I, I came to have more faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, whatever. And then AD, here's how things are different now. So there, there, and there's a, you just think about different ways to do that. That's a nice non-confrontational way to share about what God's doing in your life. And then if, if you can kind of read the room, right? If people are interested in that, oh, tell me more. You know, you can, you can, you'll be able to tell if they, their body language will shut down. If they don't want to hear about this, they'll maybe fold their arms or maybe oh, change the subject. That's okay. Again, you just kind of play it as it lays, let it go. And, Maybe another time they'll be more open to it. I, I really do think that, that Lord, as people are, it's very much like the ocean tide. You know, you live in, you know, near Miami Beach, you know about this, that the tide always comes in and out. And sometimes people, the tide is out. They're not interested in spiritual things. They don't want to the, the tidal wave of God's love. They're not looking for that. And then other times they're more open to it, whether they're going through a problem, they're, they are, they've lost a job or they're sick or their loved ones have gone astray or something terrible has happened. Uh, stuff's going on in the culture. I want answers. What, what, what's the answer? And, and I think at those times, 
that's when you, they're they're more open. There are times in people's lives where the tide the tide is coming in, and they're open to hearing about God. And that that's when you can kind of be there for them, and they'll know you as, "Hey, I know this this lady's a Catholic. I know her faith is important to her. Maybe I should talk to her about this." And eventually, over time, you'll you'll have those opportunities as well. So I don't know if this is if any of this is helpful to you, Lord, is but to me, my, my, I, and I agree, and I need to be more, um, I don't want to say the word assertive, but I need to maybe walk more by example, and um, hopefully that also demonstrates to people that I am a faithful person and, and do believe in Jesus and, and abiding by my Catholic faith. Um, but my fear is always alienating uh, my friends who definitely are very much involved and engaged in their own religion. And so, that's always my fear, but I mm-hmm. guess that will always be, and I, I just can't let my fear of that. If they're truly my friend, they will hopefully yeah. understand that this is just part of my religion as well, mm-hmm. you know, in order to basically say, you know, I do believe that Jesus is Lord. I do believe that He is everyone's Savior. Um, without maybe saying your mm-hmm. faith is, I never say your faith is the wrong faith, but yeah. there's always that feeling that they may get that impression. And so I always kind of just hope that they can see my life and see that that yeah I, well, I th- yeah I agree with that but I, th- I think there's a bit of a subtle temptation there this this idea that mm, I'm afraid of impinging it, and it, uh, we have to understand that this is for all people that's what the word Catholic means it's universal it's for all people at all times and all places this is good news this is really good news for the world and and I, I think sometimes some of this fear that we have and maybe the fear you're experiencing it's it's not it's not from God. It, the scriptures say, "Perfect love casts out all fear," and, and this this is what Saint John says in in one of his letters: "Perfect love casts out all fear." So you love your friend, you care about them, you want the best for them. Well, God loves them too. You love them, God loves them, and so hey, we we we, we if we, we really love them, we want to tell them the truth, and we shouldn't be afraid of of how they might take it. Um, that's one thing. Hey, Jesus says, hey, don't be ashamed of my words in this generation. You know, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you if you're ashamed. We don't want that to happen, right? So so always just be be confident and just having that confidence in your faith. I think that that comes across too. That comes across as well. Um, and sometimes you meet people who just have that. They they you know, they really the conviction, they 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 believe it. People can somehow sense this. And if they're spiritually open, they'll they'll sense that this person really does believe buy into this. This isn't theoretical at all. So I, I hope I hope that's helpful, Lords. Thank you so much for the call. I really appreciate that. It's a great, great topic to bring up on this day as we're talking about St. Justin Martyr and evangelization. So so God bless you. We'll pray for you uh, on your journey. Ask everybody out there to pray for you as well. That was Lourdes calling from Miami. All right, we got to take a quick break right now on the Kale Clark Show, but uh, do call in 888-914-9149. When we come back, I'm going to be talking about how We need to find friends who are willing to tell us the truth, even when we don't like it. And we have to be those friends for other people. We need more brutal friends, and we need to be brutal friends at times. I'll explain after the break. Be right back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. found a cool article in Comment Magazine, comment.org. It's kind of a journal of faith and public life. And James Mumford wrote an article. I don't know if he's part of the band Mumford & Sons. I don't think so. But James Mumford, 
We, I think we've got some of their music on file, Jim. Maybe we can use that someday. But anyways, uh, James Mumford, not, not from the band, he wrote an essay called Find Brutal Friends. Find Brutal Friends. Is friendship about affirmation and non-judgmentalism or challenge and truth-telling? It's a very good question. And, and he starts off by saying that few endeavors in life are as risky as true friendship. If you give your friend the brutal honesty that you think they need, the brutal honesty that you owe them, and you inevitably run the risk of rejection. But in the end, and this is a great line, he says, in the end, only people prepared to lose friends will prove to be good friends. You've got to be willing to lose the friendship in order to tell somebody the truth. That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing to swallow sometimes. And, and then he gives us an illustration, um, the movie Emma. <laughs> no, he doesn't actually talk about the movie Emma. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself because I've seen the movie. Well, I'm sure there's been, there have been many incarnations of Emma on film. But I remember seeing the, the one starring Gwyneth Paltrow as Emma. Do you remember that? I think it came out in the 1990s. And I actually took a young lady to the theater to see that film because I was hoping to impress her. Hey, I'll take you to a literary film. Did it work? I don't think so. I enjoyed it, though. I enjoy. I, I haven't read the book, but Jane Austen, of course, wrote the novel in 1815. And James Munford kind of uses this as an example of telling your friend the truth that they need to hear. There, there's this scene in the book, and I think it's in the movie, too, <laughs> where Emma, who's kind of, you know, self-centered, she, she, she organizes this sort of game uh, for some of her friends, and... One of her friends is the spinster known as Miss Bates. If you've read the book, you probably know this. She's kind of impoverished. Uh, she's not doing well financially. She's not married. She's a spinster. And according to this game that Emma sets up, everybody playing the game has to say either one thing that's very clever, and you could recite a poem or a line from a book, or two things that are moderately clever, or three things that are very dull indeed. And so Miss Bates, who's kind of insecure, she is intimidated a little bit, and she says, I'm going to choose option number three. three things, I'm going to say three things very dull indeed. And then Emma could not resist, according to Jane Austen, saying to Miss Bates, ah, ma'am, but there might be a difficulty. Pardon me, but you will be limited as to the number, only three at once. You can only say three dull things at once, okay? Because, you know, usually you say more. And so Miss Bates is obviously really hurt. She's stung by this. And according to Jane Austen, she writes, Miss Bates, deceived by the mock ceremony of her manner, did not immediately catch Emma's meaning, but when it burst on her, it could not anger. So she didn't lash out in anger. She wasn't upset, though a slight blush showed that it could pain her. Ah, well, to be sure. Yes, I, sh I see what she means. And then she turns to Mr. Knightley, and Mr. Knightley's a a mutual friend. She turns to Mr. Knightley and says, I will try to hold my tongue. I must make myself very disagreeable or else she would not have said such a thing to an old friend. Wow. In other words, like I, I must really tick her off. Like, why would she say something like that to me? Uh, it must be my fault. And your heart just breaks for this character, Miss Bates. But uh, according to the book, what happens next is that as Emma's waiting to get into her carriage, and this is back in the days of horse and carriage, of course, Mr. Knightley catches up to her 
and, and he makes sure that nobody else is around to hear this conversation, which is, which is kind of good because basically what he's going to do is he's going to give her a correction. He's going to give her a correction. And what he said was, how could you be so unfeeling to Miss Bates? And he says, I didn't think it was possible that you could be so insolent, Emma, in your wit to a woman of her character, her age, and her situation. It was badly done, he says to her. It was badly done. And my wife, who's a big, uh, she loves literature, she wanted to make sure that I got like the exact quote. So she actually texted me a picture of the page from the book. And uh, so, so I could give another quote from Mr. Knightley here. Here's what he says to Emma also. He says, look, he's correcting her. You shouldn't have done this. And he says, this is not pleasant to you, Emma. And it is very far from pleasant to me. But I must, I will, I will tell you truths while I can, satisfied with proving myself your friend by very faithful counsel and trusting that you will sometime or other do me greater justice than you can do now. So, hey, I, I must tell you the truth. I have to do it. That's how I'm going to prove myself to be your friend, by faithful counsel. Now, you might not listen to me right now. It's like Hans and Franz, you know, hear me now, listen to me later, believe me sometime next week. You know, but hopefully the, the advice will, will, will sink in. And so he was really, in the book, a very good friend to Emma. And, and she realizes that she's made a terrible mistake. She just feels awful uh, afterwards. And so... That's what a true friend does. But in our culture, and, and this is what uh, Mumford explains uh, in, in the article too, and I'll, I'll post a link to it as well in the show notes for this one. He talks about the triumph of the therapeutic, the triumph of the therapeutic. And this is often what passes for friendship in what he calls our therapeutic culture. So if a true friend makes the good of another person their own, our culture often takes it in a different way. They, they sort of take it to mean help your friend pursue his or her own good. In other words, whatever they think is good. I'm only a true friend if I help them do what they've already predetermined they should do. So there are all kinds of self-help writers out there who say, hey, the best friends are people that help you achieve your goals. Well, what happens if you're, you know, you're climbing the ladder, but the ladder is leaning up against the wrong wall? And so we, we've got to be more than that. We've got to be more than that. But but this this attitude is pervasive in the culture. In fact, um, he quotes Psychology Today magazine. Uh, Psychology Today lists non-judgmentalism as a key quality of a real friend. The ability to be non-judgmental uh, with, with respect to a friend's choices, regardless of how they differ from our own. Because a true friend would never impose her own agenda. Got to be tolerant got to be empowering. That's what people think. And so they think, if I were to disagree with my friend, if I were to say, oh, maybe you shouldn't do this, that's being paternalistic. No, 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 you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Well, this is part of the therapeutic culture. So it's kind of this idea that there are no objective standards that we should all be kind of trying to measure up to. Everything is subjective, relativism reigns, there is no truth. I'm just supposed to affirm you in whatever you've decided is good. Whether or not that conflicts with the actual good, whether there are true values out there that cohere with reality. So that, that's a problem. That's a problem. And, and Mumford says, well, what, what, if you, what do you do if, if one of your friends has defective desires? They desire things, but they're defective. And he, and he talks about his own experience. He says, look, in the past, I was a workaholic. 
He says he was addicted to work. He says he was obsessed with work. And he spent all his energy, time, and money on his work. And now he looks back on it and says, man, I was totally dysfunctional. But back then, I never took a day off. I never even took a holiday. I even worked on Christmas Day. And I made all kinds of rationalizations and excuses. The cause is worthy. The sacrosanct calling. You know, I, but he said, it, no, this was actually an addiction to work. And it was detrimental to my overall purpose and well-being. It was bad for my family. I neglected my children. It was bad for me. I was not living a balanced life. And so that, that's the problem because sometimes our friends want things that are bad for themselves. And they might not know that, but we can see that from outside. We can kind of see if somebody's struggling with certain things like workaholism or, or some sort of an addiction. And that's a problem. There's also defective desires of other kinds as well. Uh, in the novel, The Great Gatsby, and this is something uh, Mumford brings up. Maybe you've seen the movie with Robert Redford, uh, The Great Gatsby. So in the, in the book by F. Scott Fitzgerald, Jay Gatsby has this dream. He sets his heart on this one thing. I'm going to have to read the novel. I don't want to spoil it for you. But uh, Fitzgerald says he paid a high price for living too long with a single dream. Paid a high price for living too long with a single dream. What happens if your friend has a dream and they're just pursuing it at all costs? And you think, maybe this isn't healthy. Maybe this isn't good. So what do we do? Uh, we, we might be accused of being paternalistic if we say, uh, this isn't good. This isn't good. You, you, you're not fully informed here. And so this is something that we need to, uh, to think about as we're trying to help our friends. So he, he talks a little bit about uh, the history of philosophy, and you might have read this yourself, Plato's Symposium, and Plato talks about Socrates. Now, Socrates goes to this big party, and everybody at the party is supposed to uh, give a speech about love, and, and Socrates goes last. So he's like, okay, I've got the last word here. So Socrates says, the highest form of love is procreative. And by the way, he, he doesn't mean anything about human reproduction, babies, or anything like that. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about love that wants to reproduce in another person the love of goodness. Love seeks always what's best for the other person, which is virtue. So this idea that you want to be a virtuous person, you want to pursue the good, and you want to try to inculcate that in someone else. You want to help the other person pursue virtue, pursue good, because that's best for them. That is real love, according to Socrates. So at any rate, um, that's a good example. I mean, this is an example where Socrates tries to do this for someone else. And so James Mumford says, we should seek brutal friends, friends who refuse to accept us as we are, because friends challenge and coax. They don't just help us to realize our pre-established goals. They question whether our goals are the right ones in the first place. So, now a lot of people, and another reason, by the way, that people don't want to necessarily do this for other people that's kind of ingrained in the culture, I think a lot of it has to do with just the idea of freedom. In the United States, freedom is a really paramount concern. People are, they, they respect the freedom of others. They don't want anybody to trample on their own freedom. They don't want to coerce anyone, and they don't want to be coerced, right? 
So that's something that's kind of in our minds. We we don't want to impose on the other because we we believe in freedom. So we don't want to be like a a, a state of tyranny, right? Where 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 citizens tell other people how to live, even though they don't necessarily agree with it. So that that's that's something that we've got to kind of fight against too. Because if we if we truly believe that the gospel is true, if we truly believe that Christ is God and that what He's teaching us is in accord with reality, it's what's good for us. You know, He created us. All things were created through Him. The Bible says so. He's got the owner's manual. He knows how this is supposed to work. But but here's the other thing too: with the, the good can never be coerced. And, he, and he, in the article, Mumford uses the example of a, a guy who wasn't spending enough time with his family, and maybe he was like that too, as he was a workaholic in his past. And so imagine if a father just tells his kids that he loves them, but he never actually spends time with them. The currency of attention, he never spends that on them. And then his wife can't stand it anymore. And so she kind of ties him up and forces him to be in the same room as his kids. Well, that's, yeah, you might be seeing your kids all the time if you're tied to the kitchen wall, but that's not right either because that's not freely chosen. That is being imposed from the outside. And the kids are going to figure that out. The kids are going to figure that out. He's not doing this freely and he's not, he doesn't have the good himself. It's being imposed from the outside. So that's true with the, with the faith too, because the faith can never be imposed. We, we've been talking about that this week as well, with respect to evangelism and how the church should be evangelizing. Pope Benedict said it's always proposed, never imposed. And in the same way, we have to choose this for ourselves. Nobody can act virtuously for us on our behalf. We've got to do it. We've got to live it out, and then we can be much credible, much more credible witnesses when we want to share them. Uh, this goodness with other people. So we we ourselves have received it from God. Uh, we're not lording it over people. Uh, this is a gift that's been given it to us. We're, we're associates. Augustine talked about us being associates in goodness that's outside of, of both of us. You know, you and your friend. God is the source of all goodness. Your friend's good lies with God as well as your own. So any true friendship means bringing the other person to God. That's where they can find the true good. Not not coercively, just pointing them in the right direction. And that that's a great art form. It's it's difficult to do this. And and he just closes this article. I'll leave you with this. It's it's a great piece, but he again goes back to this case of Emma and Mr. Knightley in, in Jane Austen's story, how he rebukes Emma to her betterment and to the betterment of their friendship. It actually makes them better and deeper friends because he called her on it when she was wrong. And this is what he says. This is what Mumford says. I'm just going to quote him because it's a powerful quote. He says, I know in my own case that I may tell myself the reason I don't confront my friends is because I fear being paternalistic. I fear being interfering. I fear being presumptuous. But usually the real reason, the real reason I don't confront my friends is because my fear of rejection is greater than my concern for their good. Their flourishing is not ultimately as important to me as our friendship, and our friendship is thus not oriented to the good that is beyond us. End of quote. Wow, that is a powerful point. We can't let the friendship itself become an idol. We've got to do what's good for the other person, what's best for the other person. That's what our faith teaches us. It's what Christ did. That's the example of the cross. Well, we're out of time today. 
on the Kale Clark Show, but we will be back tomorrow. Make sure to share the podcast with a friend wherever you get your podcasts or from relevantradio.com. Jim Shaper produced. Thomas took your phone calls today. Stay tuned for Timory and the Family Rosary coming up after that with Father Rocky right here on Relevant Radio. Take it away, Michaela, and have a great, great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to my daddy.